today's teaching text is Mark 10, 13 through 16. It's found on page 933 of your Shed Bible. People were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Spirit, be our wisdom, be the light that we need. Open up ears and hearts today. Teach us, lead us, continue to make us into the people you long and dream for us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Hey, my name is Troy. Happy to be one of the co-lead pastors here at Marshall Bible Church. We're in week whatever it is of this Jesus and series. I don't, I've lost count. Um, you probably know at this point, based on the proclamation of Scripture, that the theme of today, say it with me, is Jesus and... The antinomian and neonomian controversies. Wait, that's what you said, right? Right? Great. Who's excited about this teaching? Great. That'll be a different short circle you can come to or not. Or don't come to it. That's perfectly fine. Obviously, Jesus and children today. Um, I want to get right into this. Mark chapter 10. This is uh, the version of the story that I want to focus on is here in Mark. It comes in Matthew also, Matthew 19, I think, and Luke 18. So there are three versions of this story. There's almost no difference between the three tellings of this story, except in Mark, and the reason why I'm going to use Mark is Mark has a couple of very particular details, which I think brings this story to life. And it's some of those details of the story that I'm going to focus on. And so uh, here's what I want to do. I want to jump right into it. Ready? I want you first to notice that Mark says that Jesus was indignant. Some people have brought little children to see Jesus, but the disciples, well, they've turned away these people, including the children, and this gets a reaction out of Jesus. It says he was indignant. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't use the word indignant very often. Anybody else? Indignant, part of your regular parlance? Frankly, oh, thank, very good. All right. All right. King James. Um, uh, at best, I had an inkling 
of an idea of what this meant. In fact, when I was reading this first off, I had this image in my mind. I kind of pictured Jesus like with his hands on his hips. I'm disappointed, not mad, right? I didn't really have much of a sense what in the world is indignant even trying to say. Uh, in Greek, this phrase, he was indignant, say it with me, it's agonokteo. 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 That's the, the phrase in Greek. And um, literally it means much grief. In King James, uh, it says like he, Jesus was sorely displeased. It's got another bit of a connotation, which I think is interesting. It's a, it's a phrase that's associated with crushing grapes to make wine or to make oil. You might be able to see at the very beginning, maybe the makings of the word agony. You see that? Agonicteo. It's really physical. Um, an, a, another way the, uh, of, of explaining it, uh, did I say this already, is to feel a violent irritation in your body. Agonic teo, it's intense. And this makes a lot of sense, particularly in the context of the book of Mark. Mark, as a writer, Mark never softens, never downplays the emotions and the actions of Jesus. Everything's kind of heightened in the book of Mark. And so when we come to this spot here where it says Jesus was indignant, agonic teo, in very academic, in very theological language, we can say Jesus is ticked off. He's really, really upset. Now, what's got Jesus so mad? What's causing so much grief? I want to rewind briefly to the previous, a previous scene, which I think gives us a few clues. Mark chapter 9, if you've got your Bible there, you can flip back. Mark chapter 9, around verse 30, Jesus and the disciples are walking along and they're talking about stuff. And then they stop at a village and Jesus says to the disciples, so what is it that you've been arguing about? And you get this sense that suddenly the disciples feel like they've been found out. Maybe Jesus has been listening to us the whole time. And then the text tells us that the disciples don't answer Jesus' questions, that they remain silent. And they remain silent because the disciples have been arguing with each other about who was the greatest one. Uh-oh, busted. You ever found yourself in one of these conversations? A conversation that you've been having and then someone outside of the conversation asks you what you've been talking about and you realize we've been talking about something that I would rather not admit. Do you know this? And so you sort of stumble along, you try to find your way. We were, uh, um, it, was, it was about, we were sharing prayer requests, right? <laughs> This is the kind of in, uh, feeling, tension in this scene. When Jesus says, what is it you've been arguing about? The disciples don't want to answer. But Jesus goes ahead and he begins to teach them anyway. And he says this. Um, the greatest person, if you really want to know, the greatest person is the one who serves. 
Like he so often does in this scene, Jesus flips the script and he reshuffles paradigms. And he says to these disciples, in the kingdom of God, greatness looks different. That the first must be last. And then Jesus incorporates a visual aid. And he takes a child into his arms And he says these words, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. Okay, so children in this ancient world, you probably know this, but children in the ancient world, they had virtually no social status. They had virtually no rights. They weren't respected. At the very best, they were instrumental or functional. And so when Jesus says, I want to focus the conversation about greatness and I want to do it by encouraging the disciples to welcome the least among them, children. The kingdom's perspective about value and about greatness is different. The categories and the qualities that govern society, they aren't operative in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is instructing the disciples in Mark chapter 9 to adopt a new perspective of greatness. And one of the ways that they do that is by welcoming little children. And in doing so, the kingdom is welcomed. Jesus, who inaugurates the kingdom, is welcomed. And God, who is the creator and the sustainer of all people and of all things, is welcomed. This is a big teaching. It's a significant shift in perspective and understanding. And then watch what happens just a little bit later. We're back now to Mark 10. Some people bring children to Jesus. And what do the disciples do? The exact opposite of what Jesus just taught them to do. Can you see why Jesus might have been indignant Can you see why Jesus might have been filled with much grief? Why he might have been having this physical, violent irritation? The disciples have already forgotten what Jesus just taught them. Jesus has to teach them again already. Now, I want to move to the end of this scene before we come back to what Jesus teaches, okay? So at the very end, we find some more details that are unique to Mark's version of the story. Um, Notice verse 16. Jesus goes beyond what the people wanted or what the people asked for. In each of the three versions of this story, some people bring children to Jesus, and they want Jesus to lay his hands on the children. Now, this is probably a culturally normal thing. It's not talked about, it's not explained here because the original audience probably understood the practice and they probably understood its significance. What I want to highlight is not that practice, I want to highlight what Jesus does. Notice how Mark records Jesus' actions. Verse 16, he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. What I want to stress to you is that Jesus did not do the least that he could do. 
that Jesus didn't simply place his hands on the children and do the culturally expected or the obligatory thing. Uh, Remember when I said, uh, when Mark writes that he doesn't soften or downplay the emotions and the actions of Jesus. So when we get to this spot and it says Jesus blesses the children, another Greek word for you, katuloge. It's only used one time in the whole New Testament, and it's right here in Mark. And another really intense word. It, it basically means blessing fervently. Blessing over and over again. Blessing repeatedly. It's like blessing upon blessing upon blessing. It's like blessing to the second or third power. It's an intense blessing. So Jesus exceeds what was desired. More than simply placing his hands on these children, he takes them into his arms and he blesses and blesses and blesses. And in doing so, Jesus is essentially rebuking the disciples, the disciples who previously rebuked other people. But Jesus is rebuking the disciples, and, but Jesus is also rebuking society at large. And he's rebuking them by stressing yet again the importance and the value of children. They are worth his time, They are worth his extra effort. They are worth Jesus' blessing upon blessing. And then one of the additional challenges that I think is implied here at the end is that Jesus gives so generously. He gives so generously to these children who have done nothing to earn it. That Jesus blesses fervently these children who haven't been working hard to deserve what Jesus does for them. And this kind of generous, gratuitous behavior, it drives adults crazy. My guess is it drives some of you crazy. I'm mindful when I think about this scene, just Mark chapter 10. I'm mindful of the number of adults that are around the scene. At the very beginning of Mark chapter 10, Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees, by this group of religious people. And they've devoted themselves, they've devoted their whole lives to being obedient, to following the commandments, to being particular. Denial, the Pharisees. You get on the other side of this scene about children and we come across what we commonly know as the rich young ruler, person who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him what to do and then this man actually claims, I have followed all of the commandments ever since I was a little boy. And then at the very end of Mark chapter 10, the disciples are together again with Jesus and Peter represents the disciples by saying this phrase, Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. The chapter in Mark 10 is filled with adults who have done stuff. Adults who have sacrificed. 
adults who have denied, adults who have worked hard, adults who have been committed, and yet what I find fascinating is the blessing of Jesus comes to children. Like us, the adults in this scene, in these stories, they're likely rooted in a kind of meritocracy mindset. They're mindful that you work hard and you get stuff. You work hard and you're rewarded. You get what you deserve. And yet the presence of these children and Jesus' generous behavior towards these children, it calls all of that into question. These children, they receive the blessing of Jesus not because of their usefulness to society, not because of their influence, not because of their power, not because of their wealth. The children are blessed by Jesus simply because they are. The upside-down reality of God's kingdom, it places value and it places worth differently from our cultural norms and practices. Okay, finally, let's take a look at Jesus' words. What does Jesus teach the disciples? He says these words, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I probably actually should have just closed the service after Denise was speaking with the children. I want to take a slightly different angle for the next couple of minutes. Typically, we understand the words of Jesus here to be about receiving the kingdom like as if you were a child, right? To receive the kingdom in a childlike manner. So we're encouraged uh, to be innocent, to have childlike faith, to simply trust, to be fully dependent on God. Great advice. True. Absolutely true. I'm not trying to poke a hole in that at all. My trouble, though, with that as sort of the lesson that we pull out of this is that it makes the children in the story into a metaphor. It's like the children become a moral lesson. And that I think that's contrary to the spirit of what we see here. The children are more than just an object lesson. The children are valuable and important in and of themselves. And so, I want to ask you to consider this. In addition to having a childlike posture and a childlike attitude, I wonder if we are to receive the kingdom of God like receiving a child. Rather than simply being like a child, maybe the way that we receive children is tied to how we receive the kingdom. What if it's really important how we receive and welcome children? Of course, because the children deserve it, because they are worthy, because they are valuable, because they are significant. That is why we do it. That is the primary reason. What if in addition to that, the way that we receive children is how we will receive the kingdom of God? 
Maybe be a little more concrete, a little less theoretical. Let's say that for some of us, the dominant way that we might receive children looks something like this. Oh, please don't touch that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, will you please keep those sticky peanut butter and jelly fingers off of my valuable and important stuff? Those are daddy's records. Those are daddy's books. Those are daddy's tools. Just theoretical, by the way. Or what if one of the ways that we receive children looks, looks a little bit more like indifference? Not really paying attention to children. Kind of ignoring their presence. Or when they're when they're talking or babbling or doing their best to try to string together words to make a coherent and logical story, that we find ourselves daydreaming or passing the time or withholding some of our best energies from them, our best attention. Or maybe for some of us, receiving a child looks like trying to steer and direct them wherever it is that we want to be going. Because we're trying to maximize time and efficiency and our own agendas. And this is, for some of us, maybe, maybe that's what receiving a child looks like. And what I wonder is if that's how we receive children, is that the way that we would receive the kingdom of God in our midst as well? Please don't touch that. I would rather that you didn't put your hands on that part of my life. I would rather you not mess around with that. I'd rather you not muck that up. Or maybe there's a kind of indifference or not paying attention to the presence and the activity of the Spirit. Or maybe there's a a kind of wanting to steer and direct the kingdom where we think that it should be, or trying to direct the, the kingdom to where we think that it should actually be going. Or maybe we withhold our best energies, and we just give the least that we can do, the least that is required of us. Friends, what if... That was the way that we would receive the kingdom among us. Let me, let me suggest more positive possibilities. What if we were to receive children with curiosity, with openness? What if we were to be generous with our time and generous with our attention and generous with our presence? What if we were to allow ourselves to be led by a child and to be taken wherever the child would like to go and discover what we will see along the way that we might not have seen otherwise? What if we would be open to perceiving the world differently because a child was leading us? What if we would be willing to submit to an agenda and a timetable that's different than what we hold so dear? And what if we received the kingdom of God that way also? With curiosity and openness and generosity 
and submission. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like receiving a little child will never enter it. Friends, the ways that we receive children in our community matters. Of course, it matters primarily because this stresses and it confirms the worth and the value of children as creations of God. But the way that we receive them has added benefits for us. We are reminded in the way that we receive children that in Christ's kingdom, significance is based not on your social status, not on your contribution to the world, not on your power, not on your influence, not on your wealth, not on your age. And the ways that we receive children into our community, those ways train us for receiving the kingdom of God among us. I want to end practically for a few minutes. If you're sensing a desire or maybe a conviction to better welcome and celebrate children in our community, I... I just want to put a couple things in front of you. First, you can always serve in our kids' ministry. We're using the language of serving on purpose, by the way, um, for all kinds of reasons. You can, have, you can get a little sense that when you serve, it's not always necessarily the easiest thing. So we want to place that up front. Like, we know that this is an ask, but there's always space in Granville and in Grand Rapids for willing adults to be present with, to listen to, and to learn alongside our children. Always. If that's of interest to you, you can check out our website, you can check out, talk to one of our staff or our volunteers, people who are around these check-in kiosks over here. Um, Have you noticed I'm assuming you have noticed because you're here today. But have you noticed that we've made some changes in the ways that we're trying to involve children in the service? These are just baby steps, but we're doing our best to try to include children a little bit better. And so we're taking this time, Denise just led us really well in it, and trying to bless children. Let me do this first. Those of you who are parents, those of you who are guardians, those of you who are, are, are bringing children here, we want you to know that that moment where we ask the children to come here to receive a blessing, that is intended to be a gift and not a burden. If that causes any kind of anxiety inside of you or inside of children, um, know that that's not obligatory. You don't, they don't have to come here. In fact, their presence in this room, it doesn't matter where they're at. We're going to bless them anyway. So allow this to be a gift and not a burden, not a source of anxiety or discomfort. Um, Stand, be wherever you want to be with those children. But know that we're going to bless them all the same. Okay. In addition to that part of our liturgy, um, I would like to encourage adults in the room to intentionally include children in the passing of the peace. This is a simple moment, 
but I think a profound moment for our children to have a sense that they are not just tolerated in the first half an hour of their being here. It's an opportunity for our children to literally be welcomed into this place by you. It's an opportunity for our children to receive, I hope, from multiple adults, a reminder of the good news of Jesus. It's an opportunity, don't most of them have a name tag, is that right? It's an opportunity for you to speak their name. And it's an opportunity for you, I know for some of us, interacting with children is a stretch. Allow us to give you a learning opportunity. Allow us to provide you some opportunities to be stretched, to extend ourselves. What might it look like for us to intentionally involve children in those couple of minutes of our liturgy? One more, uh, just baked in opportunity. Have you checked out the draw a live wall at the end of the building here? It's a remarkable piece of technology. Didn't I just sound like I was 400 years old when I said that, by the way? I realized when it came out of my mouth. Kids love these telephones. Um, <clears throat> that is a great organic way of naturally gathering together of a bunch of different ages. It's a wonderful opportunity for not only the children and the adults that are accompanying them to be together, it's an opportunity for some of us to routinely make it part of what we're doing on Sundays, to be present, to interact with some children, to uh, interact with their drawings. I think there is all, there are all kinds of opportunities here. You could just be hanging out, meeting some new folks. We'll hear a little bit more about this in the upcoming weeks. You could draw something. That may be humbling enough for you on a day. Certainly is for me. You could draw, color something. You could sit alongside of another child while you're doing that. You could ask for help to get your drawing up on the wall. Just a cup, it's, there's just a couple of simple moments to be present with children. I want to close here. I want to close just by celebrating one story. Just one person. I could pick so many people in our community. This teaching is less of a corrective and more of a let's keep going sort of a teaching. There are so many people who are faithfully and lovingly doing this. I just want to talk about one person. A person that I suspect would not have filled Jesus with much grief. William Opperly is one of the faithful greeters at this door over here, underneath that number one. Yeah. And he has sung over and he has greeted people, so many people, as they have come into the doors of the shed. And... Uh, So he had a procedure a while back, and the recovery's been hard. It's been slow, and it's been frustrating. Um, but he's back at his post, even though for now he's got to sit down while he's doing it. 
And so last week I was standing beside him for a little bit as, as we were greeting and we realized William is at the perfect height while he's sitting down to greet children. Like he's now at the ideal height on a chair to fist bump and to high five and to joke and to see these kids light up, to see somebody on their level making that effort It was so inspiring. Uh, William is literally welcoming children into our gathering. And I actually think you should stay seated from now on. (laughs) And like I said, he's just one example of the many people around here who are so faithfully and lovingly welcoming children. Let's keep at it. Let's all be welcoming and receiving children with honor, with dignity, and with love. And let's give whoever is watching, inside of our church and outside of our church, a glimpse of this kingdom that exceeds our expectations, a kingdom that exceeds our desires, that goes beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. A kingdom in which Jesus holds us and Jesus blesses us. Not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus' incredible welcoming grace. A welcoming grace that puts on display God's everlasting and steadfast love for all of God's children. And amen.